Welcome to the Bearded Pastor Podcast, where our goal is to encourage you on your Christian journey while giving Jesus all the praise, honor, and glory. Welcome, and I want to thank you for joining me at the Bearded Pastor Podcast. This podcast has been something I've talked about doing for a long time, and I appreciate the interest and the support that's been shown so far And I'm praying that the content provided here will be beneficial to you in light of your Christian journey. But as I began praying through the purposes of this podcast, I was somewhat struggling with where to begin. However, I felt as though God was continually putting a certain certain message on my heart. and, And that message will take us to the beginning of my journey that has landed me where I am today. And my prayer is that you'll find hope in your own Christian journey the hope that can only be found in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ because of the hope that has been shown to me through my relationship with Christ. After all, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, he writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In my story, it begins in Greenwood, South Carolina in 1983. My parents were relatively young Christians at the time who had a, they already had a two-year-old son and, and they were expecting their second child later that year. And during the pregnancy, they went to all of the doctor and ultrasound appointments. And from what I've been told, the pregnancy went as expected. And on September the 29th, 1983, my mom gave birth to my parents' second son, which would be me. And it wasn't until the day I was born that the, the doctors realized that that I had what they would call a very severe birth defect called spina bifida. And from the stories my parents have shared with me, the doctors gave me very little chance of survival. And in fact, my parents were essentially told that there was nothing much the doctors could do, and if by chance I did survive, then I would be in a vegetative state my entire life, never being able to do anything on my own, and that I would be a financial burden through the duration of my life. And that was when my parents were told the most beneficial thing to do for me and for them was for the doctors to do the least amount possible and there was a huge possibility that I wouldn't survive and then they could try to have another child later on down the road. But thank God that my parents chose to step in at this point. The decision was made for me to be transferred to a nearby hospital roughly 60 miles north of where I was born. 
And it was in this hospital that, that I underwent numerous surgeries during the first six weeks of my life, and I was finally able to come home after this period of time. And we ended up living in Greenwood until I was three years old, and, and then my parents decided it would be best if we moved closer to the doctors where the, who were frequently caring for me during this time. And so they, my parents, they uprooted themselves, my brother and me, and moved to the Easley, South Carolina area. In my childhood, it was great. I started kindergarten at a school for children with special needs, and once I was old enough for first grade, they decided to put me into the same public elementary school where my brother was attending. But however, this didn't come without some obstacles. I had to be given the readiness test to to make sure I was ready to begin first grade, and, and I actually failed the readiness test. I failed it because A, I couldn't dribble a ball, and B, because I couldn't skip. Get this. They said the the kid in the wheelchair was not ready to begin first grade because he wasn't able to dribble a ball, and more importantly, he couldn't skip. And to make matters even more complicated, one first grade teacher in particular told the school district that if I was placed in her classroom, that she would quit. But thankfully, once my parents were able to convince the school district that I would, in fact, never be able to skip and that my inability to do so should carry no weight on whether or not I was ready to begin first grade, the first grade teacher who had taught my brother two years prior stepped up to the plate and told the school district that that I was welcome in her classroom. And during the summer before my sixth grade year, my family and I were attending attending a church in Easley, South Carolina, where I had gotten involved with a Sunday school class with kids my age. And although I don't remember the passage of scripture that was being taught on that specific day, I felt God calling me into a saving relationship with him during one of those, those classes in July of 1994. And I accepted that call to salvation and was then baptized by immersion in August of 1994. And I started out well. I had all of the fervency and zeal of a new Christian. I was reading my Bible every day and learning from adults who had taken the time out of their busy schedules to to invest in my relationship with Christ, and, and things were going great. Then I began high school in the fall of 1997. And although I won't take you through all of the details of my high school years, I'll say that once I began driving and found out what it was like to have a social life, my spiritual life began to take a back seat to everything else. And you know, to this day, my wife tells me that, that I'm one of the most social people she's ever met, which is funny to me because she's a bit of an introvert. And I guess it's true when they say that opposites attract. But, but in all seriousness, I was really good at going along with whoever I was hanging out with at any specific time. Whichever um, specific group of friends I found myself spending time with, that's how I acted. And looking back, all I was doing was trying to find acceptance because I knew deep down that I was different. But now I know that, that I was looking for an acceptance that I had already found in Christ. But I'll talk more about that in another episode. 
Um, I graduated high school in the spring of 2001 and started attending classes at Greenville Technical College in the fall of 2001. I was 17 when I started college due to a late September birthday, but I thought I had it all figured out. And because I had goofed off in high school, I knew I wouldn't be able to go straight to a four-year school. So my plan was to attend Greenville Tech and and then transfer to Clemson University to get a a degree in engineering. And this plan went pretty well the first two semesters, except for a math class that I was having trouble passing. But, But all in all, I was still an average student at best. And then something happened my last two semesters at Greenville Tech. Um, To this day, I still don't know what that was, but I began to doubt that I wanted to go into the engineering field. And by this time, I had had begun working at the local big box hardware store um, while I was taking classes at Greenville Tech, and my last two semesters at Tech were a disaster. I signed up for classes both semesters, would leave the house every morning pretending to be going to class, And then once I would get to campus, I would find someone that day, anyone who was willing, to skip classes with me. And needless to say, my last two semesters at Greenville Tech, the last being the fall of 2003, didn't go well, and I ended up dropping out with a GPA of .7. I then went to work full-time at the hardware store where I was working, and, and I loved my job there. The people were great, the job was fun. The customers were enjoyable for the most part, but in December of 2004, my life would change drastically. My grandmother, who had lived with us off and on throughout most of my childhood, um, was not doing well. And as, As I was working one day, I got a phone call from my mom telling me that my dad was rushing my grandmother from from our home in Easley down to the hospital in Greenwood because she was complaining that she couldn't breathe. And all of her doctors were in Greenwood, so rather than take her to the local hospital in Easley, my dad thought it would be best that he take her to the hospital where her doctors knew her situation. But I left work early that day and, and took off to Greenwood. And my family and I would end up spending the next two weeks in and out of the the hospital visiting my grandmother in the intensive care unit at Self Regional. And Christmas was approaching, and with each passing day, we knew that there was less and less of a chance that she would make it out of the hospital. So on December the 28th, 2004, my dad and his siblings made the decision, along with my grandmother's consent, to take her off of the ventilator. And the doctors told us that she wouldn't last for more than a couple of hours. But she lasted for a day and passed away on December the 29th, 2004. Fast forward a few months to April 2005, and my parents had made the decision to move back to Greenwood. I had a great uncle who was getting up in age, and he had never married and had no children. And my dad knew that he would one day need someone to care for him. And so, as I said, my parents had made the decision to move to Greenwood 18 years after um, they had uprooted our lives in Easley. And I had no intention whatsoever of going back to Greenwood. I told my parents on a number of occasions that, that I was only three years old when we had moved away and that my home was in Easley, South Carolina. 
And the only problem with me staying in Easley was that I was only making eight fifty an hour at my job. So one day while I, while I was at work, I went to the HR manager and I explained the situation to her and asked if there was any way possible that they could give me a raise. After all, I had been there for about a month short of three years and, and, and couldn't count. I could count on two fingers how many days of work I'd missed in that three years. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me in the eye and she said, everybody needs more money. And I'll admit, I was a bit taken back. So I calmly looked her in the eye, hoping to call her bluff and said, well, I guess two weeks from today will be my last day. And she looked right back at me. She handed me a blank sheet of paper and a pen and said, put it in writing if you don't mind. So in May of 2005, I found myself in my truck, loaded down with the last belongings that were in the home where I had spent 18 of my first 21 years, and I was headed to Greenwood, South Carolina. And once living in Greenwood, I started the job hunt. I had three years experience working in a big box hardware store, and luckily Greenwood had one of those. So I went and applied and heard nothing back. I applied at just about every big box store we have in Greenwood and had no luck with any leads. And things were getting a bit out of hand and and I wasn't happy. Nothing was going the way I had planned. So in August of 2005, I started back to school at Piedmont Tech where I had planned to take all of my core classes and then transfer to Lander University to get a teaching degree in special education. And shortly after moving to Greenwood, my mom had begun a new hobby of scrapbooking and I still don't know exactly what that is 15 years later but but I have a better idea now than I did then but but in December of 2005 I still needed to get my mom a little something for for Christmas and so not knowing anything about it I went to the scrapbooking store at the time when um, I knew that my mom wouldn't be there and um, so that I could find her something for Christmas And I remember going into the store and the owner was standing up near the front of the store and I'd heard lots about her so I knew who she was and I told her that I had some money but had no idea what my mom would need or even want uh, for Christmas. And the owner called two young ladies from the back of the store to come help me put something together. And as I was sitting there waiting for somebody to help that day, the most beautiful lady I'd ever seen turned the corner. She had brown hair, the most beautiful brown eyes, and a smile that couldn't be forgotten. And I would later find out that her name was Allison. And I went back into this store several more times over the course of the next couple of years because I knew that Allison would always be able to put something together for me in regards to my mom. She was really great at her job, and I had actually inquired about her through someone else and found out that she was dating somebody. So our friendship would unfortunately have to be strictly through the scrapbooking store. So I ended up going back to school. I ended up transferring to Lander University in 2006, where I began taking classes for my major. And I graduated in December of 2008 with a bachelor's degree in special education. And unfortunately, that was about the time the economy tanked and School teachers were being laid off by the masses. Interview after interview would end with the same result. I would be told, 
we hired somebody with more experience. So here I was with a four-year college degree seven years after graduating high school, and I had nothing to show for it. I had been working with my dad off and on all throughout college, so I went to work full-time at his shop. And little did I know, God would begin using this time in my life to do something only he could do. I'd been going to lunch with a youth pastor friend of mine on Thursdays while working with my dad, and and I served as a volunteer under this friend at the church I was attending. And, And one day at lunch, he looks at me and he says, it's pretty clear that God is calling you to seminary, and he's calling you to enter the ministry. And then he looked at me and he said, what's holding you back? And I looked at him and I said, I'll start seminary when I feel like I know enough and when I can afford it. And he looked me in the eye and he said, the first thing they're going to do in seminary is prove to you that you don't know what you think you know. And secondly, don't you serve a God that's bigger than any financial need out there? I had no response. So off to seminary I went in the fall of 2013. And towards the end of that fall semester, I had, I, had, I had made a post on Facebook. And the contents of that post will come up in a later podcast. But when I made the post, Allison, the beautiful lady I had met from the scrapbooking store some eight years prior, had liked it. So I did what any guy would have done with a, with a beautiful lady he, he hadn't spoken to in a while. I messaged her on Facebook. And we chatted for a few minutes and And then I asked the all-important question that I was desperately wanting the answer to. I said, how are you and your boyfriend doing? She responded, oh, we broke up back in August. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. That was my response. And to this day, I'll tell you that was a lie. I wasn't sorry, not in the least bit. So then I said, hey, I was thinking it would be nice to catch up since we hadn't talked in a while. Would you want to go to lunch sometime? And she actually agreed. And at this point, she could have just been agreeing because she didn't have the heart to tell me no. But I was okay with that. She she didn't say no. It took me a couple of weeks to get her to make good on her commitment for lunch. But, but it finally happened. And in April 2014, we began dating. And on April the 11th, 2016, I had finally had enough. Not in the way you're thinking, but but I had had enough. I was ready to ask Allison to marry me, so I proposed to her that evening, and she looked at me, and as 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 I proposed, she looked at me, and she said, Are you serious? Is it real? And again, we'll have more on that, um, more on that in a later episode, but, um, she did. She, she asked me first if I was serious, and then secondly, if the ring was real. So she agreed, and we set the date for April the 29th, 2017. And I began sending my resume to different churches, and again, kept hearing the same response. We hired someone with experience. And however, on April the 9th, 2017, a church took a chance on me. I preached my trial sermon, and they voted us in that day for me to become their pastor. Twenty days before our wedding date, the Lord showed himself faithful. 
and the church agreed to let us get married first, and my first Sunday preaching as senior pastor was May 14th, 2017. And Allison and I, we have since become the Baptist Collegiate Ministry Directors at Erskine College, where we've been serving since January 2018. And we're still learning about each other and, and about marriage, but we're making progress. We currently don't have any children, but we do have a two-and-a-half-year-old boxer named Spurgeon. And now comes the question that I'm sure all of you are asking at this point. Why would he take the time to tell us a story about his life? And the first part of the answer to that question is because I want to be as transparent as I know how to be with you guys with, with where I've been and where I'm going. But secondly... And I think more importantly, I wanted to tell you this story because I don't want you to I don't want you to view this as a story about me. This is a story about God the Father who loved me enough to send his son Jesus Christ for me. My story is about Jesus. The same Jesus who came to this earth willingly sent by the Father in order to take on and, and satisfy the wrath of God by paying the atonement for my sins. My story is about the Holy Spirit, who, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And you see, I wouldn't say that my life has, has necessarily been a life of trial. I've been extremely blessed. You know, sure, there's been ups and downs along the way, but, but God has been faithful. When the doctors gave me little to no chance of survival the day that I was born, God had a plan, and, and I know He does for you as well today. Throughout my life, I've been constantly reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, after telling the Corinthian church of some of the things he had experienced, he begins verse 7 this way. He says, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And now, I'm not claiming to have seen a revelation from God. That's not the point here. But Paul says that a thorn was given to him in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to keep him from being conceited. And this is important. He says that this thorn was a messenger from Satan. And you see, the way our world is today is not the way that it's meant to be. 
We experience some of the things we experience in this world today because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. So bear that in mind. But if you were to look back with me at verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul says that, that he pleaded with the Lord three times that the thorn should leave him. And how did the Lord respond? Verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus didn't take it away. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And you see, we'll all face things in this world that we may not understand. We may even beg and plead with the Lord to take these things away. And as a result, he may take them away or he may not. But here's what I do know. Through every trial, hardship, and calamity, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to be faithful. I don't know exactly where you find yourself today. You may find yourself in the middle of a marriage that's in shambles. To that, I would say, be faithful. Trust in the God who has the power of reconciliation. You may find yourself in the midst of a financial situation where you're saying, I'm never going to recover from this. To that, I would say, be faithful. Trust in the God who has all the riches of glory at his disposal. You may even find yourself in the middle of a quarrel with a friend or family member. Again, be faithful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So who has the power to, um, to do these things? God does. It's not a matter of, of willpower. And today I want to ask you, have you prayed to the one who can work these things in and through you today? And if you haven't, I pray that you will. Or what if you find yourself in a physical situation like myself? Be faithful. Does God have the power to physically heal me today? Does he have the power to physically heal you today? Absolutely. Will he? He may or may not. But here's what I do know. When God first began to call me into the ministry. Hear me out here. I made excuses as to why I couldn't be obedient. 
And I'm not saying today that he's calling you into pastoral ministry, but what I am saying is that every time I made an excuse as to why I couldn't be obedient, I felt like he would come back and say, just trust me. And honestly, I've seen him use the very things time and time again that I told him in the beginning that he wouldn't be able to use. For instance, do you know how many times I've been able to get into gospel conversations because I'm in a wheelchair? I'm going to tell you, it's more times than I can count. And do you know what God used to get the attention of the wonderful lady that I now am blessed to call my bride? It was the wheelchair mixed with a little humor. So today, no matter where you find yourself, I want to encourage you with the words of Paul in the last part of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, that I am strong. Christian, stay faithful. There is nothing in this world that you can face that is bigger than Jesus. It may seem like it at the time, but but don't let your present situation drown out the glory of your almighty Savior. Paul was able to say these words in 2 Corinthians 12 because he was able to look past his earthly circumstances in order to see the eternal glory that awaited him. And there are people all around you today who who need to hear your story. And I personally would love to hear from you all. Please feel free to email me and tell me about what the Lord has done or is doing in your life. I want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to be able to rejoice with you, to weep with you, and to pray with you through whatever it is you're facing today. And you can reach me by email at thebeardedpastor83 at gmail.com. I want to encourage you to fill up my inbox, and I promise to read each and every email and pray accordingly through each one. But today, I want to thank you for joining me at the Bearded Pastor Podcast. And I want you to remember to remain faithful. The Christian journey is a journey worth it all. I love each and every one of you. And thanks again for joining us today. Thanks again for joining us at the Bearded Pastor Podcast. Be sure to subscribe today in order to receive all of the latest content, and may God continue to bless each and every one of you.